Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. In this episode, I talk with Roddy Basso, co-founder and CEO of E1. By now, you should know that I'm fascinated with Formula One, the ocean, and the future of electrification. Now, Roddy and the E1 team are propelling us into this future in a truly exciting way. E1 is the first fully electric powerboat racing series that is set to race all over the world starting in 2023. Now let's jump into the conversation with Roddy. Well, I'm so happy we were able to kind of hop on this podcast and you're able to take the time and I'm really excited just the direction of E1 and kind of the invention of the sport in general. It's kind of an area that isn't usually focused on in sport. So I'd love to start with just you know, a little bit about your background. Where are you originally from? Where'd you grow up? You know, what kind of got you interested in engineering from the beginning? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm Italian. I come from Naples. That is a city with an incredible sea and an incredible landscape and view. Of course, it's hell of a messy city with where nothing works. But maybe the combination of the two is what has been addressing me towards the prototype and racing world. Because mm-hmm. when you are part of this incredible industry, you cannot pretend to live uh, through an Excel file or, or a Gantt chart, but you have to be good at managing the unexpected. Coming from this city is making me enjoying even the dramatic moments sometimes where mm-hmm. things go completely for the tangent. And this is where I scratch my my hands and I say, okay, uh, buckle up and watch this. Were you always that kind of person? I mean, from, I mean, you have a more of an engineering background and obviously being interested in motorsport. I mean, that usually that like chaotic side of engineering is usually not the comfortable side of it. So did you kind of get a taste for that when you were younger? I'm very comfortable with this chaos. Absolutely. I think that's the best way to generate innovation challenging paradigm to do so you need to know the paradigm very well otherwise it's just like a a kid crying about something but this is what my engineering background from a very good university and also the very initial phase of my career allow me to learn from the best and make sure that i really you know went deep into the details of what it takes to make a change to innovate and to contribute to this beautiful racing industry that is made of the combination of sport and technology. The sport mm-hmm. side is the human side, the endeavor and the you know, human-machine interface. The technology side is what can really contribute to everyone's life if the innovation agenda for the sport is well-managed and well-driven. So this is what excites me and this is why I wanted to build a new sport platform that in general are labeled as marketing communication platform and technology platform. So for sure, I want to keep the technology. For sure, I reckon the importance of raising the awareness of important things like the one we really care about. But I would like to say that as a racer, Our platform is an action platform. You will see not so many theories, but you will see hands going and project delivered in order to make a change in everywhere we will go racing. So this is you one. So what kind of got you interested in racing from the beginning? I mean, talk me through some of those early experiences that you had in in motorsport that kind of got you into that engineering side of things of motorsport. Well, racing attracts me because it's an extreme environment. So you know that you not only need to do well, but you need to do it as early as possible, fast, making sure that the decision-making process is well-managed. And so you go through mistakes, you try to define a list of tasks and prioritize it and focus on the first couple of tasks that are important to achieve your, your milestones. I think this is the most important learning that you can have from, again, an extreme environment like the racing industry. On top of this, the race environment is about teamwork and team spirit at its best and its peak. And, you know, human beings 
are interesting animals. This can be a very challenging part of the narrative, very challenging part of the project. But while sometimes I get frustrated about the people really not getting on and getting the right spirit and just push forward, in the meantime, I have to say I love people. I I believe that for me, everything is about relationship in life, work, family, friends. This is really the, the stage where we operate. Whatever we do in life, even if, if you have a pizzeria, you still need to be good at relationship and treat people and motivate people, sometimes push them. I mean, so it's not all the time a hand-to-hand kind of exercise. Sometimes you have to be a bit tougher. But in the end, if there is an alignment between the company vision and the people vision, success is guaranteed. So that's the work of the leader. This is what I enjoy as well in my everyday life. Very cool. And so you started your career, I mean, NASA a little bit in the beginning, and then you were in the world of Formula One. I mean, did you experience some of that teamwork side of things throughout Formula One? Was that kind of like the main? Oh, yeah. 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 No, 100%. From the Ferrari days, which is the first team I was working for, I still have more friends than colleagues. And the reason why I can say this is that we were not only spending a lot of time working together and trying to understand how to get the car faster in a, in a reliable way, but we were also spending time together during our business trip, our races and tests, having fun, going for dinners, and really building the confidence, the spirits, and the agreement across people in order to go in the same direction. So in that case, everything becomes much easier. I have to say, and this may sound very much opposite to the trends or the shorter trends, as I think they're going to be, the pandemic, of course, offered to us a different way of living and working. Having these hybrid systems with Zoom, with all the platforms that are now existing for video calls, you know, we are also lucky to have this interview today even if we are in uh, all possible parts of the world in the meantime nothing will be the substitute of the presence the contact the relationship in person i think uh, this is still uh, what makes uh, the human being different from other animals on the planet and this is the only way you can uh, deliver some Mm. dream something anything you want in life so they talk about complete remote university, I will miss the best part of university, which is going there, showing up, find nice people, study with them in real life, looking at nice girls. I mean, where are we heading to, guys? Let's get normal. Let's go back to the basics of our nature. And I mean, I'm sure that we all uh, will pursue our dreams with success. Mm -hmm. Definitely. When you were in Formula One, I mean, you were Ferrari... Red Bull, a little bit of time at McLaren in terms of battery development. What was this like kind of in that change of going from traditional internal combustion engine to then electric? Was that a hard transition from an engineering standpoint? I mean, what were, what were kind of those hurdles of, you know, we're going into a completely new direction and we have to make the racing exciting. We have to make the cars reliable. And this is eventually technology that'll trickle down. This is a very good point, and I, I love this question. Thank you really for asking this, because I think it's very much aligned with what a racing organization should pursue, which is understanding the trends for the future and how to contribute to the good of the future for all uh, the people, for all human beings, and try to prototype and test the core technology on the racing environment keeping the awareness that the solution they're using in racing it cannot be the solution that you will have in road cars or commercial vessels in case of my application with E1 and so forth. But at least you have a group of people that are thriving to get the best knowledge out of the existing technology or maybe the future technology. Because as you know, racing is a world that is uh, exploring the technology readiness, which goes from three to seven. Three is right after university, so it's the applied research. And seven is the prototype validation. So we are very good in swiping this technology readiness level, as they call the TRL, 
very quickly because you know the race is in a certain date and you cannot spend too much time planning programming and having a bit of a metaphysical conversation about it but just cracking on and testing so racing is the ideal environment in a industrial revolution as we are living and experiencing to speed up and accelerate the process towards a different way for people to move around so having said that I'm very keen also to say that I've got nothing against the thermal engines. My professional life started with Formula One with thermal engines. I know that there are still thermal engine applications, including and especially Formula One, which are the leaders in terms of sport entertainment, at least in the racing industry, but not only, even as in general talking about sports. In the meantime, again, for what I've said in the beginning, I always have felt the need to contribute not only to the sports show, but also to the technology trends and the future solutions in terms of mobility. I strongly believe that we are in this transition and we have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is kind of an industrial revolution, if you will, of mobility? We're at such an inflection point where you have you have so many different options. You have electric, you have hydrogen, you have, I mean, people just developing all different sorts of technology and trying to see, hey, which one's going to stick? Is that kind of your perspective on, on where we're at? Yeah, no, definitely. I think the next 10 years, uh, being an engineer in the next 10 years is going to be one of the most exciting uh, experience of uh, human's life uh, since the very beginning, since prehistorical level, for the simple reason that you need to consider we, of course, the state of the art of the electric mobility today is, is the battery, of course, with the ion lithium, liquid kind of cells. And consider that in, the la- in only 10 years, uh, I mean, the engineers across the world managed to increase the recyclability of the battery from zero to 100%. Wow. So this is only one of the achievements. The price went down by 70%. And it keeps going down. And now we are in a point where we are at the peak of the performance of this kind of technology. But in two, three years, we will have the solid state battery, which will reduce by 75% the weight and the volume of the battery. Of course, now it's very expensive. So only supercars are looking at solid batteries. But in five to 10 years, for sure, there is a direction. They are not inflammable. So it's very important also in this respect. Of course, they come with other form of challenges like the repeatability of the production quality, some other details that are very deep, techie details. And I want to get to you both and also the audience both about it. So, but in the meantime, the advantages that they come with for sure counterbalance all the bumps that we will find on, the, on our way. On the other side, there is the hydrogen power, as you have mentioned. There is the green hydrogen, which is a huge chapter of mobility for the future and energy generation. We will need a bit more time. This will allow us to cover the heavy transport vehicle and vessel, and especially vessel or ships are a big issue for the pollution, for the CO2 emissions and all these sort of things. So again, we still need to be patient. We are in the beginning of a roadmap. It is like being on a thermal engine 100 years ago. People Mm. disregard this and people disregard because there's no record on how many mistakes, how many accidents, how many problems the people encounter in developing that kind of technology versus the horses. So in order not to get stuck with previous technologies and again, in order to make mobility affordable, we definitely need to look at what's happening in the next 10 years. Let me say also that the Industrial Revolution is not only the techie bit in its own right, but it's also about the way the propulsion could be easily transferred across different fields. This is exactly what we're doing in E1. In E1, we are considering ourselves the meeting point of sailing, powerboarding, and motorsport, and high-end automotive. This last field and industry is the one that is uh, providing us the electronic and the electric propulsion side of it because the automotive high end and the, the motorsport is at least 20 30 years more advanced compared to what has been developed on the on the water this is what we're trying to do with the e1 with the seabird technologies which is our 
technical startup where I play the role of CTO, there is developing also commercial vessel to be used like in a sharing model facility. So like you today, you can book a scooter. So what I wanted to say as a second very important point is when you own the technology for electric propulsion, companies will be able to supply aircraft, scooters, cars, vessels, everything that is moving. And I think this is a huge change in paradigm, which is going to go only for the good in terms of mm-hmm. maintenance cost, in terms of understanding the learning across the fields and economic impact for everyone who wants to move around. I think that's a huge, huge piece is thinking holistically about the whole situation. How does it affect, you know, not just the world economy, the world mindset, the technology mindset. That's, I think, one of the hardest things about sustainability is usually you're doing the best you can with the information that you have available. You don't know if that's going to be the best decision in the long term. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But we're getting very good at being able to predict models, predict where things are going to go and really get to that situation where it's like, no, we're 80% sure this is this is going to be the right direction for us. For the battery side, I think it was really fascinating when you were talking about the recyclability of the batteries. What do you mean in terms of the recyclability? Is it extending the life of the battery in different uses? Is it actually the recycling of it and being able to reuse it? Because most, I think, the argument for or against batteries in vehicles or any type of application is, is the idea of what do you do when, it's, when it doesn't work anymore? Well, when I was talking about recycling, I was thinking about two things. One is what they call safe disposal. When I say safe, I mean disposal without generating any emission. So this is one achievement. The other one is actually being able to use a certain amount of the battery to build a new one. So it's like a refurbishment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Today, we can do that at 100% of the battery, for sure with the one we use with A1, with the battery that we have selected. So the news is not only about the percentage, but the news is about the 10 years that took mm-hmm. all the world to achieve this goal. And of course, this is also due to the fact that all the finance world and government are investing in research and development and they are pushing massively. I must say that the sense of urgency that governments and the finance world is feeling to trying to fix these issues, of course, there is an element of business. There is a big hype. We cannot neglect this or... Uh, hide it. But in the meantime, especially on the government side, in some region of the world, and I want to mention Netherlands in particular, they are accelerating this process at incredible level. And in two, three years, the mayor of Amsterdam has asked to switch all the commercial vessels that are taking the tourists around the city into electric. And I can guarantee you as an engineer that to develop and manufacture a system which is safe, compliant, and repeatable in terms of production quality and everything for the commercial use for thousands of people using this is a a very racy target. This was one of my inspiration where I decided to build the vision of E1 together with Alejandro. How did that vision come about? Because I mean, you guys, you guys had experience in Formula E, you guys were involved in Extreme, if I remember right. And this is kind of like the next iteration of that. Why water and, and how did this information just come to you guys to go, you know what, let's, let's start a whole new series. Let's do it on water. Let's put it in a specific category. What was that process like? So I was in McLaren. I was managing director of the McLaren Motorsports unit, business unit. So at the point, I decided to take a sabbatical. This was before COVID because I thought, you know what, well, probably try to have a break. And instead of working for uh, fantastic brands like I had the, the, the luck to work for, why don't you try to build one and do something on your own? So I always had this entrepreneurial approach even when I was an employee. It is time to really try and dive into it. In the meantime, things don't happen by chance. I live very close by to Alejandro. The pandemic was starting and the only thing we could do is going out and train and at least walk, of course, respecting the distance and everything. And Alejandro mentioned to me about this Seabird Technologies. There is a company funded by our designer, Sophie Horn, and he invested into it. And he was asking for some technical and technology advice on how to develop these commercial vessels based on foil, based on electric propulsion. 
The next day I came back to him. I'm very passionate about water. As I mentioned in the beginning, I'm coming from Naples. I think I learned to swim before walking. And so I said, I think, Roddy, I mean, this is the moment. Why don't we build again a marketing technology and action platform based on a sport to open a new chapter in the racing on water and water mobility through Seabird Technologies? And also promote in this way the capabilities and the vision of cyber technologies to the world and to the places where we'll be going racing. It took a few hours for Alejandro to say, I love it. Let's go for it. After three months, we were in Monaco launching the championship to the world. Everything from that moment was happening very, very fast. And now I'm here very close to see the prototype, the first prototype in the water. And of course, I'm super, we are all super excited about it. Wow. So from a design process, it doesn't look like anything you've really ever seen before. Where did you guys start on that design process? I mean, the only foiling has been a little bit more popular in America's Cup, Sail GP, those kind of areas of sport. But generally, that type of foiling powerboat isn't really a thing. So how did that design process come about? So there are two inputs to this uh, choice. One is purely visionary and inspirational. So Sophie, Sophie Horn, chairman of Seabed Technology and designer of the boats, wanted to design something that was inspired by nature, by the gliding of the, of the birds on water. And so in some way, you can see that the foil, even if they're static, they replicate the idea of the wings. In the meantime, she... You know, the, the electric surf with a foil where they're not popular, but a couple of years ago, they started being more and more popular. And so she was inspired by this solution. And she thought, why don't we build a boat based on the same kind of naval architecture platform? Then I took this design concept and inspiration and I gave an engineering reason to go with a foil. So we are targeting a speed which is around 50 knots. I've done some work and simulation. Yes, about 100 kilometers per hour, 70 miles per hour. That's incredibly fast. Wow. Well, I have to be honest with this. It is fast. In the racing world in powerboarding, it's a good speed, but it's not the fastest. Mm. But we, allow me to say, it looks harsh, but I don't want to be harsh. We don't care about the speed. I think that the world, again, going back to the mega trends and also the interest from the younger generation, and of course, this has an impact on engineering development. The world is moving from, and also the racing world is moving from speed and power as much as you can to efficiency and acceleration to generate the thrill and the enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And this is what the electric propulsion can absolutely guarantee and actually in a better way compared to the thermal engines. Okay. So if we look at the thing in this way, pushing for top speed, is not really the game that we are trying to build, but it's more about the excitement and the enjoyment, the experience while you're going around. I'm talking about the commercial application, of mm -hmm. course. And if you look at all uh, other sectors like Uber, like these other things, the younger people, they start jumping, they want to be connected, they want to have a pleasant experience, easy, no maintenance, no hustle, and off you go. So compared to this, to having six lateral G on your neck, it's not something that is attracting anymore, attractive anymore. And let me say, for a matter of, you know, the health of the water and the planet, we cannot afford anymore to push the power and the speed to the limit just for the sake of having a, a technical challenge. So let's use the same neurons and the same brains to still guarantee a future because human beings are not only about relationship, but also about mobility that is very important for us. And let's use the same brains to change the KPIs, change our targets, and move more towards, again, acceleration and efficiency. So with this philosophy, with this approach, the foil is what guarantees you to be, of course, off of the water very soon. We will start taking off at 10 knots. By doing so, of course, we will have less water resisting the acceleration. As you know, the water is 800 times higher density compared to air. And this allows to be more efficient because then you need less energy from the battery or for the same battery, you can go 
more far away. Okay. So in the speed window that we are operating, uh, using the combination of electric propulsion and the foil is the best combination in order to maximize acceleration for the electric propulsion and efficiency. And so for the people who haven't seen what it looks like yet, how are you guys propelling the boat forward with just the foils that are in the water? What's the propulsion system? How does it kind of work and push everything forward? So the propulsion system is based on an outboard. So we have a, a propeller. What we have done is, of course, the outboard also embeds a rear lower foil that is there to balance the boat because you can still move the outboard through trims and lift. By doing so, you can balance the boat depending on the either driving style or wave conditions. So we have taken uh, as a first step, a bit like Formula E has done, a traditional approach. But in the meantime, on my mind, I mean, we still have to put the, the, the prototype in the water, but my mind is already thinking about the generation two. And the generation two, we have to be, here we have to prove a concept. So we somehow adapted the existing state of the art from the automotive into the state of the art of the powerboarding or anyway, the yacht industry in general. With generation two, we will have to do the big step. We will introduce also for the teams the chance to develop technologies to contribute to the change of rules in order to, again, address the efforts towards something that is a, a common denominator to all the innovation agendas of the teams that will join our championship. So in that case, we will try to go to the next step of evolution of our project. Yeah, that's a key part of it. Because I remember when Formula E, I mean, this was only a few years ago, there were two cars. You would come in, you'd hop out of one car, hop into the other and drive out. And it was limited by the technology. But then all of a sudden, you know, you have a new generation battery and now the cars can go longer. And now the sport is an, an evolving sport. I think a lot of people expect, you know, a new sport necessarily to be at the level of Formula One or something out of the gate. But I mean, that's been a sport for a very, very long time. And with new technology, you have a lot of hurdles that you have to overcome. I mean, how many teams are you guys looking to have as a part of the sport, especially on the launch? We are looking at uh, maximum 12 teams, uh, and I would say 10 is the minimum for the season one. We have an incredible discussion. When I say incredible, is because people are not coming only for power boating, but also from very important yacht manufacturers, sailing boats, and yachts, but also from uh, the supercar industries and from the motorsport. So the vision that has built the championship is reflected also in the interests of the conversation that we're having. And this is, for me and all the team, an incredible news. We are very pleased about it. That's the plan on the teams. It'll be 12, I mean, ideally 12 or two per team. Is it going to be 24 boats or 12? There will be 12 power boats mm -hmm. and 24 pilots. So every wow. team will need to have a male and a female, and they will swap the sessions from one session to another. So they will have to understand what is the, be the best strategy in order to use the best out of the two pilots. And of course, the performance will be measured by a combination of the two performances of the pilots so that we are sure that we have a, a team effort as winning and not a, a single specific person. I love that. So what's the racing format going to look like? Have you guys figured that out yet in terms of you know, how a race weekend would go? Oh, yeah. So we will have a two days race weekend. One will be more about free practicing. The second will be qualifying and race. Qualifying will be with uh, four or five power boats per time. And everyone will try to do the best lap, simply as that. Whereas the race will be like in tournament, maybe like in tennis. So quarter, semifinal and finals, match races with four boats at a time. The final will see maybe more power boats. We are still deciding how many power boats will be in the in the final, each session will be in the region of 12, 15 minutes. Of course, like in Formula E, this is a new sport. So there will be a lot about the driver capabilities to bring speed in the corners, but there is a lot also about battery management. And we will introduce all interesting features in order to get the sport interactive as much as possible from a fan's perspective and supporting pilots with extra power or extra efficiency by some uh, digital application somehow. 
But I, I would like not to disclose too much, of course, because we have still one year to go for the championship and we would like to keep some element of surprise. Definitely. I think having some sort of you know fan interaction, I think, has been really key. I mean, seeing that growth on the extreme E side, the Formula E side, you get a lot more interaction between the pilots or the drivers and the fans, and then you're able to actually build a more competitive championship, I think. It encourages that engagement, whereas you're not just passively watching it, you're actively engaged. Yeah, again, this is very important, especially because we need to get the pilots very close to the fans. And we will start to build this momentum through our Pilots Academy. And the Pilots Academy will be there to, of course, coach the pilots, to train them, to get them used to a new system in terms of electronics, in terms of the presence of the foil. But the most important part for us is also to make sure that we scout the pilots from the sport. So we want athletes. So athletes who likes racing, who likes speed, but they have to come from everywhere in the world and they need to build the characters behind them as well. So we'll help them in this respect. So that in the meantime, we will be able to show to the fans the different pilots and how they got to the first race of the first season one year before the first season, if you know what I mean. So we Mm -hmm. start building the momentum and how much the fans can decide who to support more much earlier than when the season will start. Mm, That's so interesting. Yeah, because I would imagine... I mean, this is such a new platform. It's not just finding somebody who has a powerboat background or a sailing background or a racing background. I mean, how do you how do you go about searching for pilots that can actually do this? So we have in places, let's say ambassador, but people scouting for us from different fields. These are coming from all the sport application that you just have mentioned, sailing, powerboating, motorsport. We are very keen to have a very strong ambassador. We are talking to him and of course let's see if the deal will land but it's important for us that we inspire young people to get closer and closer to racing because this is something that it's a very important point for the future of the racing industry in general not only for e1 but for all the racing applications this is something that we are very serious about it again not only for the sport and for the success of e1 but also for the messages and the actions that E1 brings alone together with an exciting sport, new sports. Mm-hmm, definitely. What's kind of the format of where are the events going to be held? How are you guys going to hold them? So for example, Extreme E, they're totally off grid. They'll take the ship from place to place. How does that look for you guys? We will be in rivers, lake and the sea. Our uh, circuit, our track layout will be including some parts in inside the ports and the harbors of city of the like of uh, Venice, Monaco, Jeddah, Miami, Rotterdam, Stockholm. We have very advanced conversation with these cities, but also conversation with other 40 to 50 cities across the world and everywhere in the world. We want to be somehow the formula E of the, of the water. So we'll show up, offer an incredible spectacle in terms of sports, close to people with grandstand, capable to enjoy the show. We will have also shows beyond the racing. And we will also bring what we call the Festival of Sustainability. There is an opportunity for big corporates, but especially local startups that we will scout in order to give them the opportunity to showcase what they do in the clean tech landscape. So it could be e-mobility, it could be water healing, it could be coastal area regeneration, and so forth. In this way, we want to give to the local startups the chance to be noticed either by our guests or the big corporates that will be involved in the Festival of Sustainability and maybe get the funds to keep growing and build the business and the solutions. So, again, very keen on not only provide an economic benefit around a specific weekend, but a long-lasting benefit to the area where we'll be racing. Do you think that's an important part of motorsport or any type of sporting platform now that 
you need to have some sort of educational impact. I mean, more value that you're actually bringing to the community than just that event or sport itself. Well, let me say that this is valid today for everything. As you can read everywhere, the latest marketing theories and so forth, you need to have a clear purpose and be coherent with it. So we do believe we cannot keep going in this way about the water racing and water mobility. We believe we've got to do something. And the only way is to, again, deliver the right information, education, but especially the right actions just to be leading by examples and not by nice logos and nice statements. You know, mm-hmm. the world has, has enough of this bit. Mm-hmm. Still important. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, words are very important, but actions these days are much more important. You can ask to my team, I stretch this concept every day, every single day. Action talks more than anything else. It's not image anymore. It's action that talks more than words. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's so true. I mean, it's it's about walking the walk and, and just leading by example. Even I saw your announcement that you guys are going to release a hydrogen side of E1 as well. And you don't even have the prototype for this one in the water. I mean, just that forward thinking of where's the world going to be? How can we best make those steps to provide a mobility solution for the world that's going to be have a positive impact? This is exactly it. I mean, we cannot afford to stay steady and, and watch the show. But again, we feel the need that to contribute, simple as that. In the meantime, let me also maybe open and say that one way to reduce the impact is that just not to do anything. If you don't have an event, our events will come with some impact, with some pollution. But in the meantime, the message to the people, to everyone, is that we cannot stop the enjoyment of this fundamental ecosystem of our life as the water is. So instead of not racing, okay, why don't we see how to keep racing and keep enjoying the waters, okay, and the shores and and everything and the harbors by reducing year by year the impact of our events? So I think that because sometimes you get this kind of criticism, you know, but again, we as racers have to keep going. We need to keep going, but we also need to see how to reduce the impact. That's the message. You hit the point that there will be a little bit of pollution associated with the event because, I mean, in anything that you do, there's a positive and a negative and it's where that balance actually comes out. I mean, there's a whole supply chain and getting all your materials and the creation of everything. I mean, I think one of the things I've been fascinated about is how do you think holistically about an entire supply chain process, you know, from A to B, how can you best do those steps? Because you're, you're going to have negative steps along the way. You're absolutely right. And again, talking about criticism, especially towards the electric propulsion, you keep hearing about what is called the life cycle assessment, exactly what you're mentioning. But to counterbalance this negativity, I always mention that we should focus on two streams. One is the onboard efficiency and the other one is the offboard efficiency. On the onboard side, as soon as I have all the components, I know that a thermal engine, PFI, can provide 27% of efficiency. Out of 100% energy coming from the fuel, 27% is actually used to move a car, a boat, whatever. On the electric side on board, our boat is 98% efficient. Okay, The motor generates an efficiency of 98%. Then we lose something across the drive line and the propeller by, hang on a second, we just start, we're still more efficient than thermal engine, 100%, 100%. Now, let's go off board. That's where we start having trouble. We don't have a solution. All of us needs to work on finding the better way to generate electricity and of course, again, it's not me, but the world is moving forward. I mean, we have the green hydrogen, we have the wind, the solar, they come with a lot of challenges because of the continuity of the generation of electricity. But in the meantime, software-wise, there are big, big step forwards on how to manage and distribute energy in smaller but localized energy generation stations instead of using big 
and very polluting coal station. I understand about this topic. This is not real, really my topic. I'm not a super expert on this because I'm more focused on the onboard solutions. But in the meantime, definitely there are progress and countries like Scandinavia are showing the way like they did with mobile phones and a few other interesting applications that change completely the face of the world. So again, it's a matter of understanding where you are and just trying to keep improving because this is the way. Mm -hmm, Definitely. What is your favorite part of just this entire process? Building E1, is it the generation of the craft, the battery, the sport itself? I mean, what brings you the most joy through this process? Well, the most joy is when uh, my kid, nine years old, asked me to go to his school and talk to all the kids, like 200 kids, about the projects because he was uh, proud. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I think that's part of the platform. It's, it's sharing the innovation that you guys have and the impact that it can have for the next generation. Well, this is the target. Steve, if I have to say... This is the target. For me, that was the biggest gift I ever had in my life. Hmm. Wow. That's incredible. So this is a few questions that I actually ask every guest. Do you remember your first sustainable purchase that you ever made consciously where you said, I'm going to purchase this product because I know the impact that it has? Well, for sure, I can tell you that I got rid of the car. (laughs) So instead of purchasing, I got rid of the car. It was a fuel-based car. And... I live in London. You can definitely live without, which is a very efficient way. And now I move around with electric shared cars or electric taxis. I actually enjoy the choice. It's a peace of mind. This is one uh, of the things. And in terms of purchase, uh, well, I have to say that now when I book, I started, I can't remember when, honestly, but I started to look at when I book a flight, You know that now you can see also the CO2 emission level of the flight you're taking. And uh, I mean, I think a couple of years ago, maybe earlier than that, I started looking into this KPI, you know, this value before the price, actually. My father used to say the world is made of little stones. If all of us were looking at these little things, we are 8 billion people. If 8 billion people will keep looking at these little things, the final, the sum up can be huge and can make a huge difference. We called it electric revolution. Maybe we don't need a revolution. We need a continuous improvement and evolution of what we know. And by the way, the electric physics and theories are well known since hundreds of years. So we are not discovering a new things from scratch from a white paper. We are just taking back all the know-how that we have used in other fields and try to apply now into mobility and other things. So again, let's really all start for a small but significant shift in the way we live, we consume, and we plan our life. We're going to get there. We're definitely going to get there. Yeah, I think it's it's a little effort from everyone. I mean, I think that's part of the point of this podcast was that you know, it's not saying, hey, you have to get rid of everything you own and live minimalistically necessarily. You can. And if you want to make that choice, that's that's fantastic. But it's more about how can you make the little improvements because collectively that's where the big impact is actually made. It's really important to think about these problems as a world view and a collective humanity problem rather than just an individual problem. The individual is part of it, but it's not, you know, the whole solution to the problem. Where is your favorite place to enjoy nature? Whole world. Where is your favorite place? Well, I like to go to the south of Italy because, of course, that's where I come from. And, of course, it's a lot related to the sea. I mean, talking about immersive experience, nothing is more uh, clearly immersive than when you dive into, into the water. It's got an incredible effect, at least on me, at 360 degrees. I, I really like to when I can to cruise around sailing boats in the sea with the family and explore uh, places. So this is what I literally love a lot. I have to say, I also love mountains. Mountains have an incredible energetic effect on, on me only when I see it, the silence. Actually, silence is also an important element of the pollution re- reduction that we have in mind, you know, and also in the E1, everything started also not only from the propulsion itself and the efficiency, but also by the enjoyment that can come from 
from the silence. And recently, I also saw some documentaries from Jean Cousteau. I mean, since, uh, of course, long time. And uh, one of these documentaries was exactly the silence that is uh, coming from the peace of mind that the ocean and the waters can offer when you interact. But again, also the mountain. I have to say, just to play a joke, is that a friend of mine who loves only the sea says that he likes the mountain because he misses the sea. <laughs> when he's there and so maybe there also there is this part of the element in my love for peaks and mountains that's very very true because i mean I, I grew up 10 minutes from the beach so i was always in in the ocean in the water but now i actually live in the mountains and i think it's i mean true about the silence like if you go camping up in the mountains and you're just up there it is it's incredible it's still it's quiet i mean there's something special about that but it's true I miss the ocean and it, it's so interesting that pull in the in each direction it's such an interesting phenomenon totally maybe they talk each other somehow i mean anyway that's another topic but yeah definitely spending time in nature is uh, is fundamental actually during the pandemic since i was also missing the mountain and i was so frustrated i couldn't not go skiing last year so I was going on webcams and I was watching the mountains where I used to go when I go skiing during the pandemic and there was nobody there for all day. And I could see from the webcam or I had the feeling that the mountains were breathing somehow, you know, were like mm. uh, recovering. Again, that's another important message about the impact that we as human beings can have on nature. Again, we cannot stop that. I don't want to stop that. But let's use our brains in order to see how to keep enjoying our planet, uh, reducing as much as possible the damage that we have done so far, which is far too much and definitely unacceptable. Yeah, definitely. What's kind of your hope for the future of whether it's sustainability as a whole, whether it's E1, what's kind of your hope for what the future can look like? Well, people are talking about robotics, artificial intelligence, machine learning. There are all these hypes and buzzwords. I hope that the future will uh, become more human. And to do so, we need to understand what, what it means. In my view, there is a lot about what we have missed maybe in the last 50 years, which is the understanding about where we are by a location standpoint on this planet and what's happening on the planet, but also the contact with a, a distinctive feature that I don't think robot will ever have, which is our perception and visionary capability as human beings. This is the way I reckon we survived the dinosaurs. This is, I reckon, the way we will survive the robots. And actually, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's leading 150 engineers for DeepMind, you know, mm -hmm. the startup mm -hmm. bought by Google, of course. And actually, this is exactly what also, it was like a month ago, we were discussing about these kind of things. We say we should hire psychologists, we should hire philosophers, because if you want to replicate human being, I think we're going towards the wrong direction so far. Mm -hmm. And this is why, as a world, we are far away for. You can see on the internet, we artificial intelligence and everything. I mean, they are advanced algorithms, but we are very far away. We are mm -hmm. very far away. And maybe because we concentrated only on one side of simulating one side of the brain and not the others, which is the distinctive one. I wish to become more, more human. And I have to say also what we have seen in the world in the last year or two is uh, definitely another sign that we need that. Yeah, definitely. More human interaction, more human existence. I think I think it's key. Reimmerse with nature and, and the people around you and build community. I think that's that's a huge step. Huge, huge step. And then the technology comes to improve mm -hmm. life. But mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the opposite. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we go into the promoteo promoteo, you know, the fire, the legend about stealing the fire from the gods and the gods were unhappy about it. And uh, that, I mean, people should study this story. I've, I've expressed it in a very bad English, but I hope that the audience know what I mean. And I invite everyone to go back and, and read the meaning behind that. Definitely. How can people get involved with E1, kind of follow along, be updated on everything that's going on? We will make a lot of noise. <laughs> so <laughs> everyone will be able to hear what we're doing. As soon as the boat will uh, hit the water, we will have a massive campaign 
talking about what we are planning, uh, what's happening with the baseball, how it's behaving, and what are we planning during the year, which are going to be big events in iconic uh, location to showcase the championship and get start getting the people closer and closer towards the championship. We are planning uh, a video game with uh, real action and positive action towards sustainability. We, as I mentioned, planning a pilot academy, but something that I would like to mention without maybe telling too much, we are also planning a completely new and innovative way of offering a sponsorship to partners, which is not through only brand visibility and awareness, but through a plan that is called the Blue Action Programme, that is a way to have a large-scale impact on water and coast area conditions through, again, the E1 and our team and through local people to be trained, educated, and then offered a work in order to contribute to their own country. So there's a, a lot on the plate, all super exciting. I really invite everyone to keep following us because uh, this year is going to be full of interesting and incredible news. And next year we launch a championship and it's going to be a blast. That's incredible. Well, Roddy, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the podcast, talk about E1. I'm so excited to see what happens with the prototype, the first race, the pilots. I mean, everything It is such an exciting time for you guys. And I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you so much for the invite. I definitely enjoyed this interview and speak soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. Check out the E1 series on their site, give them a follow on social media, and also check them out on YouTube to see where this racing series is going. It's a really exciting future for the sport, and it also speaks to the future of mobility and electrification. And if you've been enjoying these episodes, share your favorite one with a friend or post it on social media. Your support goes a long way, and the more the community grows, the more impact that we can have on the world. So thanks again for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.